This is Unfilter, episode 355 for March 24th, 2021. After another mass shooting, President Biden now calling to tighten gun laws. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future. The president urging the evenly divided Senate to back two bills that would expand background checks. The proposals have already been passed by the Democratic-led House. This is not, it should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. For those bills to have a chance, Democrats need the support of at least 10 Senate Republicans. But Republicans have mostly been reluctant to make any change, they say, would infringe on Second Amendment rights. Within hours of the bloodshed in Boulder... Every time there's a shooting, we play this ridiculous theater where this committee gets together and proposes a bunch of laws that would do nothing to stop these murders. Hello, friends, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. Boy, history kind of stinks this week. This is definitely not one of those episodes that I look forward to doing because ultimately I'm going to piss somebody off. I'm going to I'm going to say something that will trigger someone in this episode because we are going to talk about the shootings. We're going to talk about the border and we're going to talk about the supposed increase in Asian hate crimes. And all of those topics right now have become become completely polarized. They are, as they like to say, toxic. But it is what is happening right now, and I want you to know that I'm going to do my very best to give you my honest take. No no bias, no particular slant. I will just report on it as I see it, and we'll try to cite data. And I want to remind you right off the top of the show, something I should say more often, besides the fact that there's also a video version of the show now at unfilter.tube. I like to mention that towards the top, just in case you want to switch over before you get too far. But... I think the other thing that I should mention from time to time on the show is a lot of the things that I'll just say off the top of my head, soundingly, are actually cited in the show notes. So if you want to check something, if you want to read more or expand, I'll sometimes even just hint at something with tons of more detail in the show notes. So those notes for this episode, unfilter.show slash 355. But this one, this one really is no fun uh, because it's yet another series of shootings that have happened very close together, and and the tone is really set to eleven on this one. I mean, the media is all in on ramping up the drama. Which, by the way, speaking of show notes, you should check the show notes for their ratings, which are horrible. So you almost wonder if they like to feast on moments like this. It's happened yet again in America. Yet again in America, innocent families are slumped to their knees in grief, waiting a day later to receive the bullet-riddled bodies of their children and parents, spouses and siblings. Is this news or is this drama television? Slaughtered in senseless gun violence. Yet again in America, we search our souls for answers, beg our leaders for solutions that thus far have not come. I like that the begging our leaders for solutions is just an assumed. We did this just one week ago after a man with a gun went spa to spa, shooting up buildings and murdering the unsuspecting around Atlanta. Congress last month scheduled hearings on gun violence with Washington discussions beginning today. 
I think part of why this stings so badly right now is because it's two mass shootings within about a week. President Biden is considering bypassing Congress with executive action on gun control after two mass shootings in one week. The latest attack on Monday, a gunman opened fire in a Colorado grocery store, killing 10 people, including a police officer. We covered the first shooting last week in the overtime because it had been breaking as I was recording. So it has been about a week now that I think about it. And you have the typical call for politicians, typical call where they go out there and they all sort of say the same standard stuff with a, I would say with a, a new type of urgency tone from the Biden administration, at least. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. It's absolutely tragic. Um, It's tragic. We cannot seem to finish grieving one tragedy before another takes place. It's a reminder that we must confront a devastating truth in the United States. An unrelenting epidemic of gun violence steals innocent lives with alarming regularity. What I'm not attracted to is something that doesn't work. And there have been deep-seated philosophical differences between Republicans and Democrats about how to deal with gun violence. One thing we do know for sure is that these shooters are invariably mentally incapacitated. We can't let ourselves ever become numb to the pain because we simply can't let this be accepted as anything close to normal occurrence. Any killing, whether by a gun or another weapon, is horrible. I have, I have this, this thought that haunts me. I am, I am haunted by the idea that there are likely so many guns in circulation in the United States that if you halted all gun sales tomorrow there could still be a healthy, vibrant gun market for hundreds of years. And it doesn't really seem like anything that could be done today could change that. We have so far crossed beyond that threshold. There are so many guns out there in the wild. Now, the reason why that matters is because any legislative changes have to address the reality, not fantasy. I'll give you an example. So the schools... They have a mask policy. And in in theory, students, social distancing and wearing a mask is an implementable idea. But in practice, when I swing by the school where my kids go, I see masks that are half off their faces. They're wet from saliva. They're down around their necks. I, I see every different kind of mask usage you could possibly imagine except for the correct one. And I think we're also fooling ourselves that these toy paper masks that they give out for free are actually effective. We call for action, but what actually gets implemented is some chicken shit half implementation that really does nothing. It causes the burden and inconvenience on the staff to implement the policy, but doesn't actually protect anybody from spreading the virus. It's a lot like that with gun control. We can take steps that seem like they're good in principle and they're good in theory, but in the real world where there is a vibrant aftermarket gun market, you, you really can't change much. You can't really affect it unless unless the unless the legislation addresses the reality on the ground. And I 
I don't get that sense. I do not get that sense from anyone in Congress that that's actually what's going to happen. And you'll remember that Joe Biden did make it a campaign promise to do something about guns on day one, specifically. Mr. Biden pledged to introduce new gun control legislation on his first day in office, which he did not do. But on Tuesday, he pushed Congress to reenact an assault weapons ban like the one he helped pass as a senator. Colorado has an assault weapons ban, but a judge ruled that Boulder could not enforce it 10 days before the shooting. For more than a decade, it's been a familiar script. After mass shootings, the public demands action, and Congress has done little, even after the attack on Sandy Hook Elementary School. Nicole Hockley's son, Dylan, was one of 20 children killed in Newtown. I need people to stand up and say, we're not taking this anymore. We've done wonderful work in curbing the the pandemic. Let's curb this epidemic as well before it kills more people. Now, here's the problem. The epidemic is how our system is structured, because in a lot of these cases, there was uh, if you look at the link that was just provided in the uh, discord, in a lot of these cases, there's pharmaceutical medication involved. I'm not using that as a scapegoat. What I'm pointing out is that's a legitimate part of this equation. Factually, it's just part of this equation. And unless we're willing to have that conversation, again, we can't fix this. And so the conversation has to include the reality that there is a vibrant aftermarket of guns and the gun sales have been astronomical for years now. So there's more guns out there than ever. It's they've if you if you don't know this, although I think it's common knowledge by now, but if you don't know this, go look at the gun sales statistics, even here in my extremely liberal Washington state. Go look at the gun sales statistics. They've been crazy for years. You have to take that into account. And you have to take into account that people who go in and kill a bunch of people are screwed up. A regular, normal, balanced person doesn't do that. I can't believe I have to say that. I shouldn't have to vocalize that fact. But that's the state of the conversation right now. And... I can't help but it feels like the media is making this so much worse. Just like during the Trump years, it's like they're back, they're back, they're re-energized again, and they're inserting themselves into the issue and pushing specific agendas and vocalizing them as if they represent the majority of opinion. Ahead in our exclusive interview with Vice President Kamala Harris, we'll talk about the White House push for stricter gun measures following the Colorado and Atlanta area shootings and whether President Biden is prepared to bypass Congress on gun reform. Listen, it's clear that the president's intention and his frustration are very clear. But the reality is you guys just don't have the votes. So what's your move? So what will the Biden administration do? We keep hearing about executive action. What does that mean, Madam Vice President? They just kept coming back to the question she'd keep dodging. So I've I've spared you the dodges, but she, she that's three times they come back to this question. But Madam Vice President, as it stands right now, you do not have the votes. Failing that, is the president prepared to take executive action? Ahead in our... Ex- Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to loop it on you. Um, and they just there's it's that's not the role of journalism. The role of journalism is to tell the entire story. Maybe maybe say the name of the killer. Now, it's interesting because when he goes from, oh, he's he's obviously a white supremacist. You can actually see this. People people have documented the transition in the media that happened on a dime. It just turned on a dime. As soon as it went from he's likely a white supremacist to, to he isn't white. They, they, they went from talking about the killer to let's talk about the victims and not mention the killer's name. 
it, it just just on a dime they turn. And at the same time, they want to make it clear that if you have if you have even just support for gun owners, if you even just support gun owners, like like I don't actually own a gun myself, um, <clears throat> never, never have. Um, but I'll tell you what one thing that changed my mind on on why I might want to own a gun was when when I was held captive in my home, uh, when I was in Arizona on the back roads, I pulled off in a gravel pit area because I'd been driving all day in my RV and a group of thugs with dogs and guns and knives wanted gasoline from me and they ended up in my home and it's a whole story. I've shared the story on Linux Unplugged, like the, the, you know, PG version and everybody that I tell, especially when I tell them all the details, their number one question to me afterwards is, have you thought about getting a gun? And I did. I did think about getting a gun after that. I thankfully was able to talk myself out of that situation is essentially what happened. I tried to connect with the invaders on a human level and have an, you know, just have an honest human connection with them and try to understand where they were coming from. Like clearly life hadn't gone great for them. I recognized their pain. Talked. I even talked to one of the guys about his kid and his ex-wife. And by the end of it, we all walked away. And I think the thing to appreciate there is it went correctly, like best case scenario, really. But it might not have. And I didn't have a plan B. And so it made me kind of refactor the way I think about owning a gun. It's, it's not about killing other people. It's about the right to protect yourself, your family, and your property. It's sort of the ultimate freedom. In a way, it's 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 a responsibility and it's the ability to make life changing decisions. And it's the trust that as a responsible adult, you'll be capable of doing that. And I can respect that. I don't own a gun myself, but I can respect that idea. In fact, that sounds like one of the best ideas I've heard for this country in a long time. Doesn't matter because I'm automatically a white supremacist Trump hater or Trump lover, I guess, because that idea has entered my mind. So this morning, lawmakers face a choice. It's a choice they have faced before. Will they choose to take action, do something, anything to try to stop these mass shootings? Or will they choose the status quo, which means looking at what happened in Boulder this week in Georgia last week and saying, I choose this. Let's stick with this. Boulder is working for me. Joining us now is Daniel Oates. He was the police chief in Aurora, Colorado, when a gunman killed 12 people in a movie theater massacre nearly a decade ago. Also with us is CNN legal and national security analyst Asha Rangappa. She's a former FBI special agent. Um, Chief Oates, in terms of the investigation, do you think that police now, by this time, know where this suspect bought the gun? And why... Don't we start there? Why, in case, in terms of making change, since it seems intractable at the national level, why don't we go to gun shop owners and say, do you think that this 21-year-old who comes in and wants an AR-15 style weapon, do you think that he looks like he's going hunting with this weapon? Did you ask him, um, by the way, do you ever think that people are chasing you? Do you ever hear voices saying that people are coming for you? Do they ever ask questions like that? Because this guy, it sounds like, according to his family, would have answered yes. 
Let me flip this around. <clears throat> uh, does anybody ever come to you and ask you about the damage that your media is doing to the American public and the discourse? Has anyone ever come to you and asked you if you feel guilty about the damage you've done to open discourse? Has anybody ever come to you and asked you about the damage you do by carrying water for the Biden administration and the war machine and the intelligence agencies and pumping Russiagate for the last five years? Has anybody ever asked you that? Yeah, because that kind of shit happens all the time. So while this is going on, of course, there's still the shit going down at the border. And this... This is another one of those common sense, obvious human crises where you have just this shit situation that is horrible, that has not gotten better since Biden took over. And on top of everything, probably should have been spotted, probably should have seen this one coming. And when I talk and this is a great this right here is a great example of depending on what information stream you're tapped into, you get a completely different version of reality. With the Grand Q Party now confronting a president who just passed a massive and popular piece of legislation. The Grand Q Party. <clears throat> you like that one? The Grand Q Party. Yeah, that's what the GOP is now. You're all a bunch of conspiracy nutter QAnons. <laughs> With the Grand Q Party now confronting a president who just passed a massive and popular piece of legislation, that is what they're left with. Yes, migration at the southern border is a genuine political challenge. and It's a political challenge. Migration, migration at the southern border, a political challenge, you Q-hatters. With the grand Q party now confronting a president who just passed a massive and popular piece of legislation, that is what they're left with. Yes, migration at the southern border is a genuine political challenge, an ongoing one that spans several previous administrations. For Republicans... Their caterwauling is not about concern for those children. Let's just be clear. Those children are just a prop for fear mongering and doing the old brown scare. Yeah, but she obviously does care, right? <laughs> as evidenced by what you heard from Lindsey Graham earlier. Those are the same words that were used with European immigrants, with Southern and Eastern European immigrants. Really, this is where the eugenics movement started. Oh, Lindsey Graham, you eugenics bastard. In Ellis Island, where they would take immigrants who were coming over and figuring out that they were lower, le lower level and not letting them come in. So, no, it's not a crisis. We need immigration reform. Can talk a little bit about the logistics here, because we talk about this on the show as sort of there's a challenge of the start of it. Right. The, the, the triangle countries who, by the way, some of it is are doing that has put them in this horrible situation. We aren't giving enough aid. They have issues with COVID. All sorts of issues are happening there. Then you have the problem of the choke point. When you get to the border, what the hell do you do with people who are stuck and backing up because of the last four years of terrible policy? I like that she acknowledges that COVID is an issue, which would suggest that we should be COVID testing everybody that does come into the border. And the fact of the matter is here, even if she wants to call it a, a political challenge, it is a human crisis because it impacts, it, it impacts multiple family lives. And the Biden team should have seen this coming by a mile. This significant surge coming after President Biden ended Donald Trump's so-called remain in Mexico policy. This is Martha Raddatz at ABC. Requiring asylum seekers to wait there for their court proceedings. Since then, many of those tent cities along the Mexican border have emptied out as people start streaming in. We were there when a bus of 56 asylum seekers arrived at Casa Alitas, a Catholic charity shelter in Tucson. Men 
pregnant women and children stepping off the bus. Yep, they're just literally bussing them out and dropping them off. And uh, they're kind of just up to their own devices to find shelter. With only what they could carry. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. He he definitely would not do it if Trump was in office. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing, uh, I think, was Joe Biden. <laughs> so, and MSNBC, actually, and they aired this, sent a reporter down there and got essentially the same audio. And that was MSNBC. And despite what the talking points are telling you and those who just repeat those talking points and say it's a political challenge, I want to remind you we are, in fact, seeing a surge. The numbers are real. So right now we're about 100 percent over where we were this time this last fiscal year. Um, We've already surpassed in the first four months of this fiscal year. We've already surpassed all of 2018. If if the flow continues at the rate it is here. By the end of this fiscal year, we will have surpassed 18, 19, and 20 all combined. That's just, it's just incredible. And the Arizona mayor, who's been one of the recipients of these bus loads, has a town of like 2,000, right? And no facilities, and he's had to declare a state of emergency. Well, a border town mayor is declaring a state of emergency due to the migrant surge and blaming the Biden administration for sending migrants to his town by bus. Gila Bend, Arizona, is located about halfway between Mexico and Phoenix and has fewer than 2,000 residents. Mayor Chris Riggs joins me now. Welcome, Mayor. Thank you. So tell me exactly what's happening. They come into your town on bus and they drop them off where? Well, Rachel, what they do is they they either bring them by bus, uh, by van, or even by their uh, uh, fill trucks. And they bring them to one of our community parks. And we really don't have a lot of parks, but we have one centralized park where they bring them and they drop them off there and then they leave. Do you know anything? Do they does the federal government tell you anything about them, what their names are? Do they have a criminal history? Have they had covid tests? Anything? Uh, They'll tell us they haven't had a covid test because they don't do do that at the uh, uh, facility. That's good. But other than that, they're giving us nothing. Can you believe this situation? Does this even seem possible to you? So there's so they're just taking them. If if they if they have kids, they take the parents and the kids and they just drive them in and drop them off and just say, "Bye. You should probably come back when it's your time." How is this how is this happening right now? How have how is how is this happening? And in a, in a, in a in a way, the Biden administration is making good on their kind of messaging that you, if you come here, you're going to get in because that's exactly what's happening. But then it incentivizes people to bring kids, and that's not always a good thing. But you know, maybe I shouldn't worry because Nancy Pelosi says I shouldn't. She tells me, "Don't worry, Biden's got it under control." 
I think that the administration is pulling this thing under control. And I think it's important to know that it will take, it is change and it'll take some time, but it is values-based, humanitarian in its aspects, pragmatic in how to, with a plan to get things done. So, so that is to back up again and say that Biden administration has this under control. Yeah, I, I, maybe the control is maybe get a whole bunch of people in off off the grid. Uh, and if they did have things under control down there in, in these facilities, why are they still now weeks into this still not letting the press in? Right now, we have no access to or photos of the conditions in the facilities. There have been no ride alongs with agents. Uh, all inquiries are routed through Washington. There have been strict controls on sharing data. Uh, local Border Patrol folks feel like they can't even talk to our folks down there. Is there a gag order? Uh, there, there is not. That is unequivocally uh, false, Chuck. And let's let's be clear here. Isn't this great? So that nobody will talk to reporters down there. Nobody will speak to reporters. The border agents say they can't talk to reporters. And this guy sitting back in D.C. says, yeah, no, there's no gag order. No, I don't know what they're talking about. Well, somebody put the word out. Is there a gag order? Uh, there, there is not. That is unequivocally uh, false, Chuck. And let's, let's be clear here. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are, because of the extraordinary leadership of the president, climbing out of it more rapidly than ever before. This guy sounds like one of Trump's guys, you know, with the way people used to big up Trump and when they would go on TV. He's upping uh, Biden in a big way, just like the Trump guys would. So they got it totally under control, guys. This is just some great leadership. It's because of covid that you can't bring your cameras in or to, or have phone calls with any of these people. Can't can't have any covid infections over the f- phone. What? Let's let's be clear here. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are, because of the extraordinary leadership of the president, climbing out of it more rapidly than ever before. Mm-hmm. But we are still in the midst of the pandemic. I like Chuck's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. He, Biden's saving us, especially with that act that he just passed. That's saving the us. pandemic. We are, because of the extraordinary leadership of the president, climbing out of it more rapidly than ever before. Mm-hmm. But we are still in the midst of the pandemic. Well, um, oh, this is part of a, uh, of a <laughs> it's funny, I guess I got that from a Tucker clip. I didn't even remember that. But he has part of there is a still of Tucker's face in there that I get to see. And I suppose you if you're watching the video version. So it's totally not a, a lockdown except for nobody's allowed in. It's just because of COVID. Uh, but I don't buy that. It's, it's obvious they don't want to show. There's been a, there was a government conducted and edited video that was released that showed um, that they've put up green tarps over the uh, cages. <laughs> so they're not cages anymore because they got tarps over them. So it's it's okay now. Uh, but I think the team was caught off guard, even though they're messaging either. It's, it's one of two things. It's either incompetence or it's intentional. Now, I know there's some that would say it's absolutely intentional. This is the way to get future voters, yada, yada, yada. They're bringing in a whole bunch of voters so they can beat Trump. That's what I've heard some people say. I'm not so sure, though. I think 
I don't think they want to take they wouldn't take the covid risk. I really do think the Biden administration has a goal to wrap covid up because that'd be a real nice feather in, in Joe's cap before he retires. I think that's I think that's job number 1. And because because Joe's a little slow and because they've got a pandemic, they got their eye on the ball. They have they have really they came in with a goal to undo everything Trump did as fast as possible. P- pass their a stimulus act and of course get the vaccine out the door and i think they've just had their eye off the ball even though their messaging was essentially an implicit invite during the election i don't think they actually expected everybody to show up because a lot of these people could be bringing covid with them and so i think they're just now within this week that i'm recording this so i'd say like monday and tuesday so march 23rd 22nd time range of 2021, I think they're just getting their plan together. They were caught off guard and now they got to figure it out. And like Barry did to Joe, Biden is putting Cam Cam in charge. Two announcements tonight. One is we've got ourselves a secretary. Javier, welcome. Thanks for being willing to do this. I also noticed nobody's talked about this, but uh, Joe here is wearing a smaller, thinner mask these days, perhaps reflecting the CDC guidance after you've been vaccinated. You realize that means she gets every assignment. So anyways, I want to uh, back up here a bit so you can hear him announcing that uh, Kamala is taking on the, pro- the problem at the border. When uh, we uh, became a team and got elected, that the uh, vice president is going to be the last person in the room. She didn't realize that means she gets every assignment. <laughs> but uh, the vice president uh, and I and all of us here have been working very hard to, uh, to pass the legislation that uh, that is going to beat this virus as well as uh, get people back to work and uh, change their prospects. And so she's traveling all over the country uh, working that. In addition to that, there's about five other major things she's handling, but I've asked her, uh, the VP today, because she's the most qualified person to do it, to lead our efforts with uh, Mexico and the Northern Triangle and the countries uh, that uh, help, uh, we're going to need help in stemming the movement of uh, so many folks uh, stemming the migration to our southern border. Uh, it's Cam's problem now. That is the longest Biden clip I've ever played in the show. I've been having, uh, I've been, I'll be honest, I've been having a tough time playing Joe clips because he's so slow. But I also feel like at the same time, I should be playing the actual words of the president because the words of the president matter. And I just don't know what to do from a production standpoint. I've been cutting it down. But you just, li- you just had to listen through it. I'd like to know what you think if it's some, if you think I should play them in full or cut them down. I'm not sure, but either way, they better get this right. They need, they have the bigger problem and they need to focus on it because the right is turning up the heat big time and they've got them. They've got them on hypocrisy and they've got them on a human crisis grounds too. So they've really got to get their crap together. Pod 3A, according to your reporting, is supposed to hold 80 people. There were 694 children in pod 3A being managed by two border patrol agents. Now, if you're listening to Lindsay here, you can hear he's pissed. This is something it's 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 clearly a political move and an opportunity for them 
but there is something in Lindsay's voice I don't normally see, and that's life. There's life and anger in there, and I thought he had gone soulless since his butt buddy died. Pod 3A, according to your reporting, is supposed to hold 80 people. There were 694 children in Pod 3A being managed by two Border Patrol agents. God bless the Border Patrol. God bless the uh, custom agents who are dealing with the Biden administration shit show at the border. I am going down with 18 senators Friday. And if I'm denied the ability to look into any place I want to go, we're going to shut the Senate down. Where are all the liberal hypocrites? Where's AOC? Where's Elizabeth Warren? Where's Vice President Harris, who basically protested outside of a facility uh, in Homestead, Florida, during the Trump years, holding migrant children? So here's my message. President Biden, Vice President Harris, with all due respect, get off your ass and go to the border and look and see what you have caused by policies that will not work. Quit denying the obvious. This is not a crisis. It's beyond a crisis. It's a national security uh, disaster in the making. It's an inhumane situation caused by bad policies. It will never change, President Biden, until you tell everybody to go home and stop releasing people into the United States. If you're not willing to do those two things, we'll have a million or two people at our border by June. We choose truth over facts. That's right. That's right. China is going to eat our lunch. So we got to figure it out. We've we've got to figure it out. Um, because it's it's so sad when you do see the pictures that have come out, and those are the best case scenario pictures. China is going to eat our lunch. I know you just said that. What are you? What are you forgetting? Just clap for that, you stupid bastards! All right, let's move on to the uh, wave of Asian hate crimes. This has been talked about a lot since the election. It seemed to ramp up very quickly, and there's some data that suggests it's just astronomically grown uh, this year. So I want to go through all of this because I think there is a bigger thing at play here, and. The first thing that really drew my attention to this was how the Biden administration was immediately characterizing events as Asian hate crimes before we even really had the data. It's like they were setting the tone from the White House. The investigation is ongoing. We don't yet know. We're not yet clear about the motive. But I do want to say to our Asian American community that we stand with you and understand how this has frightened and shocked and outraged. Um, all people, but knowing the the increasing level of hate crime against our Asian American um, brothers and sisters, we also want to speak out in um, solidarity with them and and acknowledge that none of us should ever be silent in the face of any form of hate. Come on, man. Now, when she was saying that, the FBI was saying this. What is this racial Um as the chief indicated, uh, it's still early, but uh, the indicators right now are uh, uh, it, it may not be. Uh, it may be targets. So it wasn't. Uh, but even with that and that being and not only with with that press conference where the FBI and the sheriff, the local sheriff said it was not racially motivated, even with that information out there days later, she still doubled down on it when she was on CBS. Vice President Kamala Harris is still with us as our exclusive interview with her continues. Madam Vice President, these are such difficult times. We were all still reeling from the shootings in Atlanta. The flags yeah. had been lowered half-mast and were back up, and now they're lowered again. 
for what's happened in Colorado. But many people are very frustrated about the shooting in Atlanta because it has not yeah. been called a hate crime. Should it be? Listen, I mean, Gail, look, you've got uh, six Asian-American women mm -hmm. in Asian-American businesses. Um, and, you know, the, the just when you look at it, you have to ask this question, which is what is going on? And, and the, the seriousness of API hate crime, especially over the course of the last year, is profound. Um, people are being uh, assaulted. People are being... Uh, you know, cursed out. People are being treated. People are being denied service. Come on. All right. So people are being denied service. They're being cursed out. Um, of course, some of this has also been linked to perhaps suggesting that possibly the COVID virus started in a lab in Wuhan. That was Vice President Kamala Harris. I will also note there that the media has taken what, what Kamala Harris has said and ran with it. And they have been able to use that as a talking point, even though it's not necessarily true that the shooting was race, racially motivated because the vice president has been talking like that. That's all they need. So they have just used that as the jumping off point. That was Vice President Kamala Harris, the nation's first Asian-American vice president, addressing the tragic shootings in Atlanta that have left eight people dead, including six women of Asian descent. Police say that the motive is unclear and they have not determined if this was a hate crime. But the attacks have Asian-Americans all across this country on edge and frightened. They go on to say that it's it's the GOP and it's because of the coronavirus. Um, but it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It, it defies your intrinsic understanding of our culture if you live in America. And there was a YouTuber that was linked to me. I, I think Zufi, you, I think it was you, Zufi, in the chat room that linked it to me. Thank you. Uh, and you linked it in the Discord. Uh, that really put this into perspective. So he calls himself the Korean Christian conservative. I'll have a link to this video in his channel in our show notes. It's a much longer video. With, that he goes into a lot more detail. I've just pulled a couple of moments for you, so you may want to check out the entire video if this interests you. But he did a great breakdown of the data that we actually have, and it shows you how it's it's being manipulated to create a narrative. So now they've screamed about white supremacy, but what are the actual stats surrounding the surge in anti-Asian hate crimes? So one commonly cited statistic is that Anti-Asian hate crimes have jumped 1,900% nationwide. But it's misleading. It was actually only for New York and according to the NYPD data, where it went from one Asian hate crime in 2019 to 20 in 2020. For the whole nation, here are some stats. This is what Vivian Ho said on Twitter. On the day Stop AAPI Hate released a report documenting nearly 3,800 instances of anti-Asian hate during the pandemic, nearly 70% against Asian women, a man killed eight in shootings targeting Asian businesses. Six of the eight killed were Asian women. So this is extremely misleading. So this is true that there were 1,800 incidents of anti-Asian hate. But let me pull up this graph for you guys. And this is according to Stop AAPI Hate. Only 11% of that, which is still a lot. That's almost it's over 400 incidents of physical assault. But only 11% of those 3,800 were physical assault. Most of them were just verbal harassment, name calling and avoidance and shunning. 
nearly 70% of the reported incidents are verbal harassment and name-calling. I'm not saying that's good, but I think it frames the conversation a little bit differently. That should never be encouraged at all or even tolerated or allowed. But I'm more concerned about the physical assaults. And according to VOA News, hate crimes targeting Asians spiked 150% in major U.S. cities. So we see here on this graph, this was last updated March 1st. Most of them happened in New York and then L.A., Boston, Seattle, San Jose, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Cleveland. Notice how these are all Democrat cities and they're all run by Democrats and they all have the most progressive policies. Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Well, you could also just say they're highly populated um, by a diverse group. But the the numbers there speak for themselves. It's New York and the Bay Area. That's where pretty much all the violence, if you look at it statistically, is happening. But OK, let's look at it. Uh, let's look at it from an ethnic standpoint. So Lee does a breakdown of the most recent DOJ data that it's available on victims and offenders and their ethnicity stats that the DOJ has tracked. Unfortunately, there isn't clear data compiled for this in, for 2020 and 2021. But the most recent data we have is from the DOJ Bureau of Justice Statistics. So I'm going to pull up this chart here. And we see, let's look at the last line. So for Asians, there were 182,230 uh, instances of violent crime. And 24.1% of them were from white people. And 27.5% of them were bl from black people. So we already know that actually there are more black people targeting Asians than white people are. But let me put these stats into perspective. So I'm Asian. Trust me on the math. <laughs> So to put these stats into perspective, for white black violent instances, white on black violent crime accounts for 9.8% and black on white is actually 90.2%. For white Asian violent instances, white on Asian is 35.8% and Asian on white is 64.2%. Black Asian violent instances, black on Asian is 99% and Asian on black is only 1%. So what does this data tell us? Despite black people making up 13% of the population and white people 60% of the population, black people still commit far more violent crimes against Asians than white people do. Black people also commit far more violent crimes against whites than whites against blacks. And it's interesting that there are more violent crime incidents of Asians to whites than whites to Asians. You wouldn't expect that from the mainstream media narrative, right? So all of this to say, the notion that the biggest threat to Asians and minorities is white supremacy is a complete myth. Because there are more black people and Asian people killing white people than there are the other way around. And I think he's done a good job of breaking down the data here. So again, you can check out his whole video. But he's a YouTuber that just went and got the data from the Asian Violence Monitoring Group and from the DOJ. And then he just reviewed it, which... No one in the mainstream media has done. Uh, and I think Lee ends it with, well, he's a pretty powerful, fired up message. Because remember, he's the conservative Korean Christian. Uh, and so he's obviously coming at this as a member of the Christian community. Crazy on Twitter. But this person said, Christianity is white supremacy. 
It was used to massacre, enslave, and colonize. The killer is a Christian, and he yelled that he was going to kill Asians. He would have killed you. To my fellow Christians who are completely deceived by mainstream media and those around you, I implore you to wake up. Because you really need to start thinking for yourself, renewing your mind, and not conforming to the patterns of this world. Jesus does not view us as collectives. He views us as individuals. He did not come to dismantle systems of oppression, nor did he come to lump identity groups together. And if you don't think the woke mob will come for you because you're bowing down to the mob or you're sitting on the sidelines, you're terribly mistaken. They're already spewing nonsense to that Christian is white supremacy. They will come for you too. They will come for your family. They will cancel you. So you got to brace yourself. Equip yourself, be strong, courageous, and bold. The more ground we concede to these psychotic lunatics, the crazier our society will become. Well said. All right, let's take a moment here and uh, thank thank the patrons. Uh, you guys are what make this show possible. Patreon.com slash unfilter. I don't think we had anybody sign up in the last week. So if you want to be... Uh, if you want to be somebody to help support the show and <laughs> and maybe support somebody in the last week, uh, patreon.com slash unfilter. This show really is people-powered. It's, it's an interesting transition we're obviously going through with the media and the discussion and also the way some of the early controversies are being handled, really kind of making everybody put their cards on the table. I wasn't sure what a post-Trump news environment would look like, and now I know that it's it's probably more important than ever that the unfiltered show be here to kind of sift through the garbage, if you will. So if you think that mission is worth supporting, patreon.com slash unfiltered. Go there to support the show. Also, if you'd like to send some feedback in, Patreon, or nope, <clears throat> nope, unfiltered.show slash contact for that. Top diplomats from the United States and China sparred in a rare extended back-and-forth showdown on public display. Secretary of State Antony Blinken brought up several highly anticipated points on China's threat to democracy and human rights, among others. Our deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. Oh, yes, the Alaska summit. This went so much worse than I expected. Blinken said the alternative to a rules-based order is a scenario where might makes right and winners take all. And he said that would be a far more violent and unstable world for everyone. The night before the meeting, Beijing set its tone, saying the U.S. is basically delusional if it thinks the Chinese Communist Party will compromise. Chinese top diplomat Yang Jiechi fired back, accusing the U.S. of treating its minorities poorly, saying its democracy is struggling and criticizing its foreign trade policies. I think this Alaska summit marks a historical turning point in the U.S.-China relations, at least publicly. Yang also referenced Biden's phone call with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, in which the leader of the free world said the two of them need not have a conflict. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the U.S. does not want conflict with China, but it will stand up for its friends and principles. 
We'll make clear today that our overriding priority on the United States' side is to ensure that our approach in the world and our approach to China benefits the American people and protects the interests of our allies and partners. That sounds like stuff that China wouldn't like. We do not see conflict, but we welcome stiff competition. Yang propped China up and laid out economic goals. By the year 2035, China will surely achieve basic modernization. And by the year 2050, China will achieve full modernization. Hmm. I better get the Chinese uh, national anthem on the old soundboard. I think that was suggested by you, Discord, and I resisted. But it's clear I better start uh, playing for the new boss. Uh, Then on the final day of this summit, there was a bit of a back and forth that, well, like I say, I I think it's it's a historical turning point. It's like damaging the relationship kind of stuff. Oh, Good afternoon. Top U.S. diplomat Antony Blinken opened the Friday meeting with a two-minute talk. He said the U.S. would discuss concerns over China's human rights abuses and military aggression. Our intent is to be direct about our concerns, direct about our priorities, with the goal of a more clear-eyed relationship between our countries moving forward. Thank you for being here. But top Chinese diplomat Yang Jiechi fired back with an over 15-minute long monologue. Now, it's not really clear unless you watch the streams. Is It's a kind of luxury by the U.S. Like all of these, you do this horrible stuff, but we're great, we're free, we're a democracy, we're capitalists, but you guys are bad because you spy and you have political issues and you have domestic problems. And it was just all of this, we're perfect, you're not stuff. And I think it pissed them off. In Chinese, Yang accused the U.S. of having a Cold War mentality and labeled U.S. criticism over China's actions in Xinjiang and Hong Kong as interfering with China's internal affairs. The translator later relayed Yang's speech in English. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi followed with another four-minute speech. The U.S. diplomats responded with a brief rebuttal. The U.S. delegation later accused Chinese officials of breaking diplomatic protocols. A Biden administration official told reporters that the two sides agreed to a two-minute speech beforehand, but that China violated the rules. The official, who asked not to be identified, said the Chinese diplomats seemed to have arrived intent on grandstanding, focused on public theatrics and dramatics over substance. That's good spin there. You know, but what happens is when you sit there across from the table and you accuse them of cyber espionage and and cyber theft, while we are doing this, we and the five eyes are doing the same thing to them 24-7, right? We are doing what they are doing 10 times worse, if not more. So it's a holier-than-thou kind of hypocrisy that really seemed to get, get under their skin. But it really leaves a question of now, where is Biden's China policy exactly? Tension this past week in Alaska at the Biden administration's first high-level meeting with China. China fired off lengthy insults at the U.S., The Biden administration called it grandstanding. Scott Thuman reports when it comes to China, the Biden and Trump administrations share some broad agreement. This past week in Alaska, an attempted thaw to a frosty relationship as President Biden's top diplomat, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, met with his Chinese counterpart. How to deal with China is likely to be Biden's greatest foreign challenge. The goal, a reset 
but the policy not starting off terribly different than the last administration, because when it comes to Beijing, this president and his predecessor sound the same. We believe in standing up to China, shutting down outsourcing, bringing back our factories and supply chains. We'll confront China's economic abuses, counter its aggressive, coercive action to push back on China's attack on human rights, intellectual property, and global governance. Did he just have a double negative there? Anyways, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch the Harris administration deal with this. Um, I I think it's going to be probably one of the most important things they have to do uh, nationally. Um, besides restarting the wars, you know, getting ISIS refunded, getting them and getting them some new Toyotas, all of that's going to matter a lot too. But I think what they do with China will be key. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up here, although there is more to come in the overtime. I have a lot in the overtime, actually. It's just stuff that just didn't seem like it's denting the universe this week, but I still want to talk about it. So I'm going to throw that in the overtime. If you're listening to this, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Uh, I will leave you with this crazy story that came out of the Pacific Northwest here. And you guys know I'm an RVer. So like this was like, wow, as I just I was on the edge of my seat watching this story. Tonight, paramedics and a good Samaritan are recounting the dramatic rescue of two people after a crash on a a rural southwest Idaho highway yesterday, which left them hanging off a bridge in their truck, 100 feet above a deep gorge. Can you imagine that picture? Just looking at it is so frightening. Yeah, they were held on by their tow chains. You know, so like you when you uh, hitch up uh, a, t- a trailer, you have like these breakaway emergency chains that are like meant to like, <laughs> I guess if your hitch falls off to drag the trailer behind you. But that's that's what kept the truck from falling. And then a trucker showed up with much higher grade chain and hooked that up. Fox 13's Lauren Steinbrecher spoke to the team who had just the right rope skills in a very intense race against time to save those stranded survivors. On Highway 84 northwest of Twin Falls, Idaho, you might blink and miss Malad Gorge, but on Monday, traffic suddenly came to a halt. I thought it was a fatality accident because I, I knew a truck had gone over the edge. So I got out of my truck and I was like, you know, I don't even want to look over because I know how deep that gorge is. And, you know, if it, they're, they're going to be dead. As truck driver Rod Drury looked over, he saw the pickup had indeed gone over and was now hanging by a safety chain connected to the pickup's camper. A trooper arrived and Idaho State Police said, called out down below. The voices of two people responded. We knew it wasn't going to last. You know, it was going to fall. It's like, well, I've got chains and that, you know, the truck, let's use this truck. And, you know, we all just come to the conclusion. I just pulled my truck up there and and we wrapped the chains around my bumper and, and the pickup so it didn't fall because it was just hanging by this little chain. While Rod secured chains from the truck to a semi's bumper, help arrived from above. We flew over the scene. We saw the truck hanging off and we knew that we had a very limited amount of time to do a rescue and get these people out safely before that truck potentially ended up in the bottom of that canyon. Chad Smith and Isaac Baker, part of the Magic Valley Paramedics Special Operations Rescue Team, landed just in time. Isaac rappelled down one side, working to stabilize the truck. Just looking down, I mean, it looked a good 150 feet straight down. Easy. <laughs> Not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Chad and another rescuer rappelled down the passenger side, reaching the couple with their two dogs stranded inside. Broke the passenger window out 
and actually one rescuer went inside of the pickup with the victims and put a harness on them and secured them. And then as he picked them up out of the pickup, he handed them to me and I hooked them into our ropes and our systems. And I was able to pull them out the rest of the way out of the truck and onto the ground. Less than an hour, they pulled everyone, including the dogs, to safety. And they were beyond thankful to see us and to be getting rescued. A harrowing rescue, thanks to work from 10 different groups and a semi-driver with some extra chains. This goes to show that everybody brings a huge piece of the puzzle together to make it happen. Teamwork saved the day. Teamwork made the dream work. I'm really happy that the people are alive. I mean, that, that's the big thing, that, that they're alive. I like that the truck driver just gets one mention, but it was his stronger chains that kept the truck hanging there until the help could arrive. Seemed pretty critical, but he just gets like a mention there at the end. So I guess here on the Unfilter Show, we uh, try to correct that justice. Anyways, that's it for the main show. Like I said, if you want some more show, the overtime is coming up. And of course, if you choose to join me live, not only do you get a little more because I, uh, you know, I got to warm up. I got to warm up the stream, but you also get overtime just baked right in. Watch the, you can also watch the live playback on unfilter.tube as well. But that's it, really. That's all I have for you. I know that was... It's a lot, huh? It's a lot. I hope I hope that if I upset you, you'll give it time. <laughs> give it some thought. And then get in contact. Unfilter.show slash contact. Don't go overboard. Stick in there. Let's have a conversation. I'm always willing to hear you out. And uh, I think that's part of what makes this show interesting is my opinion can evolve as time goes on. I don't just adhere to one thing and stick with it forever. I try to keep an open mind. And I'd like to engage in that conversation. Unfilter.show slash contact. And then last but not least, you can support the show at patreon.com slash unfilter. All right. That wraps it up for me this week. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of the People's History Podcast of the Unfilter Show. Unfilter.show slash 355 for those show notes, those links, and of course, the link to the overtime. I'll be right back here next week. Hello, everybody. 